In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God. Amen. Christ is in our midst. He is never shall be. In the Gospel of John, John tells us about seven signs or miracles that the Lord does. He doesn't call them miracles, he calls them signs because they are signs of His divinity. Signs of the fulfillment of the Messianic prophecies. They are signs that He has power over all creation and over sickness, over demons, and over life and death itself. The first sign that we get in the Gospel of John is the wedding in Cana where He turns water into wine. And then... After that, he heals an official's son from a distance, saying, Go your way, your son will be fine. He then heals a paralytic on the Sabbath, of course, and that makes the Jews mad. And then he feeds the 5,000 people. After that, Jesus walks on water, showing that he has power over the physical laws of the universe, and what many thought was his greatest sign is that he healed a blind man who had been blind from birth. No one had ever seen this since the world began. And some of our church fathers say Christ didn't just heal him from a blindness, he actually built eyeballs for him. I've seen both interpretations from church fathers, so it's not dogmatic, so to speak, but you can see how miraculous this would be if the man had no eyeballs. And then it's not like he had cataracts and couldn't see. He had no eyeballs, and then the Lord, the fashioner of man, fashioned these eyes for him. What a miracle! And yet, as we come to this point, we're, as we get halfway through the Gospel of John, I keep waiting for the evangelist to say, you ain't seen nothing yet. <laughs> That's just the pre-show. In John chapter 10, Christ talks about being the Good Shepherd. But He says, I came to give life and to give it abundantly. Now, he doesn't mean that he came so that we can have a lot of fun. That's not what abundant life means. It doesn't mean that it's a constant, life is a constant vacation at Disneyland. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about true righteousness, true holiness, true peace, and true joy. Living a life in conformity with His will. This is what abundant life is. Abundant life is a return to the Garden of Eden. Right? Abundant life is walking in the cool of the day with the Lord for all eternity. Abundant life is drinking from that river of living water that flows from the throne of God. As the evangelist John mentions in the book of Revelation. But Christ says, I came to give life and give it abundantly. And then he purposely, he purposely stays away while his friend is sick and dying. That 
doesn't make a lot of sense at first until he says, I'm glad I wasn't there. So this has happened so that God may be glorified. And his disciples don't even understand. They, they, get a, they get a message, right? Remember, no cell phones, no emails, no texts. Somebody shows up and says, Lazarus is dying, right? Mary and Martha are, are calling for the master and Christ stays away. And Christ finally tells them he's sleeping. They're like, oh, well, then he'll get better. He'll wake up. It's okay. He's like, no, he's dead. Christ knows that he's dead. He's showing his divinity, his omniscience, right? By saying Lazarus is dead. That's not the message that they got, right? And then when Christ shows up at the tomb and says, where have you laid him? He's not suddenly ignorant about that. He says that so that they can participate in the miracle. He's always showing humility in this regard, not flaunting his divine knowledge, but always humbling himself because he was fully man, but so as to appear to be as so as to appear to be ignorant like other people are. But nevertheless, he stays away while his friend is dying, and then he comes. And his disciples even say, the Jews are trying to stone you. That's because he healed a blind man, he healed a paralytic. He was doing all these things on the Sabbath, and he's speaking out against them, and he's also proclaiming himself as Yahweh. He's proclaiming himself as the I Am, the existing one. When Moses is talking to God in the burning bush, he says, what's your name? Who, who do I say that you are when they ask? And he doesn't give a name. He says, I Am. The existing one. I am who am. O on. In Greek. O on. Right here. I am. And that's the closest they get to the name of Yahweh in Hebrew. They don't get a, a name that they can control. They just get the one who exists. And in John chapter 8, Christ is saying, I am. Right? And, and in chapter 6, before Abraham was, I am. Right? This is why they want to kill him. But Christ sets his face towards Jerusalem, and he goes toward, to Bethany, which is close to Jerusalem, and he comes to visit his friend and to bring him back to life. Did he bring back Lazarus to life so that Lazarus could just eat, drink, and be merry and have a good time? So that he could go to Disneyland? Because maybe he missed out on some of the fun? No. He brought Lazarus back to life for a couple reasons. Number one, to show that he not only has power over all creation, but over death itself. He can not only heal those who are living, he can bring back those who are very much dead. Because after four days, the corpse is already rotting and corrupting and stinking, and the soul has long gone from the body. He shows it's also a prefiguring of his own resurrection. Right? The only thing greater than the raising of Lazarus is the raising of himself. <clears throat> to show that nothing can hold him in his divine power. Right? He also comes, he also comes to give Hades a warning. It's like, hey, guess what? I'm going to take this one now, and in a couple weeks I'm going to take a lot more. I'm taking everybody else with me. Right? 
And finally, he also comes to raise Lazarus so that Lazarus can preach the gospel. It is said about Lazarus that he did not laugh after he was raised from the dead. He merely smiled one time when he saw somebody stealing a clay vessel. And he smiled and said, hmm, clay stealing clay. And that was it. He was very sober. He was very sober. Wouldn't you be if you saw what he saw? Lazarus was there in Hades with John the Baptist, with Simeon who had received Christ, both preaching to those in Hades that the Messiah is coming. And Lazarus is saying, I saw him and he didn't save me. Maybe he'll come get us. But I was there with him. And here I am with you now. Lazarus was very sober for the rest of his life. He actually became a bishop. He became a bishop. But that doesn't mean that we aren't allowed to have fun. It doesn't mean we aren't allowed to have a sense of humor. It doesn't mean we aren't allowed to laugh. All of this is to point out how serious our spiritual life is and what this all means. Lazarus did not, did not let his second chance pass him by. He spent the rest of his life in prayer and repentance, serving God and the church. And in one of the verses, one of the verses that we sing in Matins, we hear how Lazarus, as the, as the friend of Christ, Christ is compassionate on Lazarus, and we ask Christ to be compassionate on us as well. Lazarus is a symbol of our resurrection. Lazarus is a symbol of our life in the grave. And we need Christ to come and call us by name and raise us out from the depths of sin and death and corruption. One of the church fathers says that Christ uses Lazarus' name because if he simply said, come out, then all the dead may have risen up at that time. But he called Lazarus, and Lazarus comes, hopping. You can imagine, you see it in the icon, he's bound, hand and foot, right? And you see everybody's covering their face, but here he comes, hopping out, right? His face is covered, he can't walk, right? Because he's wrapped up. And Christ says, unbind him and let him go. So in our life, how does Lazarus prefigure us? How can we relate to Lazarus? Number one, we are dead in sin. And anybody who says, I am not, is really dead in sin. We are dead in sin, and through baptism, Christ calls us out of the tomb. The problem is... We spend a lot of our life after baptism trying to go back into the tomb. Not loosing ourselves from the bondage, from the grave clothes that hold in the stench of sin and death. Christ says, unbind him and let him go. And we have here an image of the church where the people gather around and they start unwrapping Lazarus and they start dealing with his wounds no matter how unpleasant. Because Christ has commanded them and this is their love for their brother, for their neighbor. 
and they can bring him to Christ. And for us, we come out of the waters of baptism, and when we sin, we put on those grave clothes and we start walking back towards the tomb. But Christ is always calling us back. He's always calling us to life. He's always telling those in the church, unbind him and let him go. We just have to avail ourselves to it. What if Lazarus said, no, don't touch me, I like this. Like how absurd, right? That's what we do when we turn away from the sacraments and, and the, the healing that the church offers to us. We return to the grave. So brothers and sisters, as we celebrate Lazarus Saturday, and tomorrow as we celebrate the entrance of our Lord into Jerusalem, His triumphant but humble entrance as the Messiah, let us ponder all of these things. Let us remember that Christ is the God of creation, of the cosmos. He's the God of the living and the dead. He's the God who works many signs and wonders. And He continues to work signs and wonders in our lives. He's the God who calls His friend out of the grave. And we say all the time in the services, Thou art the friend and the lover of mankind. He's calling us out of the grave of sin. He's done all the hard work through His own death and resurrection. St. Paul says, O death, where is thy sting? O Hades, where is thy victory? Right? This becomes a lot more clear on Pascha night. But we can already start thinking about these things. And Christ is calling each and every one of us to come out of the tomb of our rottenness, our stinkingness, our sinfulness, and come to His life. Because He came to give us abundant life, not how we think of it, but He came to give us His life. His life. But we have to unbind ourselves and we have to unbind each other. How many times in our lives do we bind other people with our sins, our judgments, our criticisms, our shaming, or even the consequences of our sins that are carried out in everybody else's life too? We must unbind ourselves and unbind each other and come to Christ, and there we can find life. And this is, as Lazarus would agree, this is the only true life that's worth living, is a life in Christ. He says, I am the resurrection. Here, we have it. We see it. And the life. I am the resurrection and the life. He didn't raise us up just to live the same way all over again and just to die all over again in our sins. He came to give us life and give it abundantly. And brothers and sisters, let us tap into that life. Let us draw near to that life. And let us stay focused on that life as we head in the next week towards our Lord's empty tomb. To Christ our God be glory, honor, and worship, together with the Father and the Holy Spirit, now and ever, and unto ages of ages. Amen. Christ is in our midst. He is and ever shall be.